Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Watchability, part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Jay McNabb, joined by a very special guest today. It's uh, a guest who's been on the show before. It's our friend Sina Romani. Hey, Sina. Hello, hello, hello. And, Lovely to be back. Oh, well, thanks for coming. Uh, it's just going to be the two of us today. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, and I do want to thank all of our Patreon donors uh, and say that uh, it, we're sorry that it's been another bit of a gap between the last time we did an episode. Uh, we've all been beset by illnesses and uh, and work, and Blaine was beset by a baby. Uh, <laughs> what? I didn't know that. You didn't? No. How did I miss that? I guess you don't listen to the show. Cause I listened to the Uncle Buck episode. We were in the delivery room podcasting live. No, no, no but we did mention it. Uh, that you did mention. It. I must have missed that. Yeah, Blaine. Congratulations. Yeah, Blaine. Well, he's not. That's exciting. He's not going to hear this. But uh, Aww, yeah, so gonna... uh, yeah, we had. Uh, I, at least I had a rough couple of weeks. Uh, I had a cold and like weeks of stomach uh, food poisoning thing. No one wants to hear about that because it's Christmas and. <laughs> That's not what Christmas is about. Uh, or maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we wanted to do a few episodes before the year wrapped up to actually deliver some some episodes before the holiday season is over. So hopefully everybody will be back next week to do something a bit more conventional. But Cena and I had an idea that we concocted that is a little bit different. It deviates a little bit from our usual uh, template of of rewatchability and i'm excited about it because what we're going to do is we're going to talk a bit more broadly about probably one of the most adapted stories of all time not just christmas stories but of of any story uh and that is charles dickens a christmas carol and we have talked in the past about a few adaptations specifically like we did scrooged on the show we talked about the Muppet Christmas Carol, obviously, but Cena, you are uh, a former, a recovering academic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and even then, I'm a recovering Disney, Disney, Disney. I'm a recovering Dickens 
uh, no, Disney, expert. Disney bought Charles Dickens. His name is Charles Disney now. That's how you have to refer to him. <laughs> Why did I say Disney? Um, yeah, I wrote uh, I wrote a dissertation on uh, yeah Charles Dickens plays a pretty pretty big role in at least my you know whatever my PhD dissertation. I I wrote a chapter. It's about orphanhood. My my the entire project is called Blank Subjects, uh, and it's about the rise of what I call a kind of like like to I, I kind of make the case for looking through the thematic of what I call orphanhood and not look at individual orphans. So even though a lot of people notice the fact that you know there's a whole huge history of orphans, especially in like kind of 19th century and 18th century British literature, that the kind of conversation got stuck at this idea of the orphan, you know, kind of people using this thing, like, which is kind of like out of date, right? Like nobody talks about archetypes. Archetypal criticism, like went out the window. So I kind of said to about like talk about orphanhood and, you know, you can't talk about orphanhood in the British novel without talking about Charles Dickens. That guy loves orphans. He loves orphans. And I, uh, I made a case against Oliver Twist and I made a case for great expectations as, like a far more profound and interesting and powerful sort of narrative of orphan orphanhood. Whereas the goal of Oliver Twist is kind of to uh, kind of correct this kid and reconnect him to his parents and his lineage. You know, the story of great expectations is really interesting and it's about adopting people and like doing uh, and like making connections outside of your family and going off into the world. And so I kind of, you know, I was kind of interesting and, just to bring it back to this conversation, you know, rereading Christmas Carol, I always was like kind of racist against a Christmas Carol. Like I was like, oh, whatever. Because, you know, when you're a scholar. Wait, how, how like... can you be racist? <laughs> like you have to you when you like focus on an author so deeply and you spend a lot of time reading it, you end up kind of like like going towards going towards a certain kind of figure of that author. So in the case of Dickens, I and a, most a lot of people like sort of go towards late Dickens, right? Like the stuff that's like really heavy, the thick stuff like great expectations is like, you know, one of my favorites. And, you know, so the, that, that period of his life. And whereas this is like a different period, this is kind of like, uh, this is kind of mid period. I guess it doesn't really matter about periodizations, but it, it more to the fact that I was more, I, w- I definitely sort of shied away from this book and rereading it now. And I reread it. And I also listened to a version of it, which we should talk about. Because I think that's like a huge thing with Dickens is like the prose is very is like audible. Yeah, yeah. But he uh, this this book actually reminds me a lot of Great Expectations and the good like the great things about Great Expectations. So this was a real treat for me to sort of dive back into this and and I also watched a bunch of movies and adaptations. Yeah, some I had seen before. But anyways, that's my intro. Yeah, you you have a real Dickens background. You've read a lot of Dickens. You can speak very uh thoughtfully about that and i've seen a lot of like mid 90s network television (laughs) of which a christmas carol played a big part so i think we'll we'll meet in the middle and be able to talk about this it's commercial content chickens was a content factory that's what they share in common right well i i we're not going to do like a rundown everybody knows the story of a christmas carol it's this timeless uh classic that uh yeah if you're not familiar with it i you are a a robot sent here from another planet (laughs) so let's just talk about let's talk about the book first before we get into some of the movie versions and tv versions that we're familiar with the book i i've read the book but i read it a few years ago i didn't reread it for this podcast i'm not as committed as you even though you're a guest (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, so- I know. I, did, I I prepared more for this than any of my shows. <laughs> Well, it is like it is a really short book. I, I and I listened to an audiobook version or most of one as well, uh, which we'll talk about. But uh, tell me about like what what hit you about reading it now that you that you didn't see necessarily in the past. I can I, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It um, so part part of the kind of broader story of Charles Dickens's life and his work is that he became a kind of prisoner and I'm kind of stealing this from a recent book by is it Nort Ann Norton um yes uh, of course it, yeah <laughs> uh I was just like checking it out the other day and he kind of became like a prisoner and it's a great way of, it's a great way of sort of summarizing it he became a prisoner of his own books like a kind of character because he lived this complicated life anyways let's cut to the chase of the story that this book is an important kind of um launching point of a kind of uh, of a mode of writing that Dickens would return to again and again in the fall in the decades after, uh, which is kind of memory and thinking about memory and using the um, using memory as a place to manufacture like the act of recollecting as a, as a way of writing a story. So what do I mean by that is that, you know, the, the main sort of thrust of this novel is, is jumping through time is these various kind of supernatural figures these three ghosts mm-hmm. um they're jumping they jump through time and they access the, this guy's life right and they access the the, the sort of the character of, of uh, ebenezer scrooge who's this kind of miserly bureaucrat figure yeah, just a real uh, jerk a real the prototypical like prototypical miser prototypical bo- bad boss um and you know, kind of in the modern sense, bosses. <laughs> yeah, in the modern sense of bosses and employers, like industrial England. So part of, and again, sorry to just keep to, to keep doing this, but to understand to understand the sort of era that Dickens is writing in, like this isn't this is like a, I, I don't mean to be dramatic, but like this is like an apocalyptic time in 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 the era that he lives in. Like smokestacks are billowing like clouds of death. Right. There is like like the industrial violence of this era cannot be overstated. Like in the previous century, in like the previous like seventy five years, like the the a certain class of people, the rise of a certain class of people in England, but this sort of replicated itself across the UK and um, the that they, they kind of managed to. Well, the UK didn't exist then, but anyways, the sort of broader history is that they managed to sort of rip out a whole way of being in the country and. Because labor, because of the Industrial Revolution, labor was needed in the cities. And a whole, the cities that we know, the modern European cities, are really kind of come together in vast ways in the 19th century, right? And Dickens lives this time. He lives the kind of ground zero of this massive, like, apocalyptic, really, just like rivers are being flooded. There's this thing called the Great Stink, okay? Like, go look that up, where, like, like there's so much shit washing up into the Thames and stuff, into like the, the shores of it that like causes the whole city to smell like shit for two months right. in like a summer. Like this is like un untrammeled or like un um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like unhindered capitalism let loose upon what was essentially like an agrarian society. Right. So like, thank God this is we the got area. that all sewn up. <laughs> right. Exactly. So like, like, you know, like, you know, the air quality things now you can't even imagine. And like work was, Work was brutal and hard, and there was no there was no kind of uh, labor struggles. Like it's no accident that kind of Marx lives in London, 
around the same time that 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 Dickens does towards the ends at least but they this like and Marx kind of lived that life of 19th century Europe that like you think of like like living in this dungeon whatever anyways lots of kids like infant mortality all these things so to sort of to situate this story in that in kind of Dickens's career is to think about it a kind of successful man and this this book brings him to new levels of success but he is already established at this point even though it's like you know he's and he's a pretty big name but like he's now he's now kind of established enough and looking backwards in his life and this book this book is and the narrative's kind of arc is these three these characters bring this guy who lives in the present day and only for the present day and they force him to look back at his life look around his life in the contemporary and look into the future and what he sees is so traumatizing that it forces him to like reconsider himself and reconsider his life and 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 really the one sort of narrative trick that i think that i never noticed before is that they use this thing of like when the christmas passed is that he he uses a cone on top of his head like the the sort of how they explain it because it is a realist novel in the way even though it breaks the rules of that it's like it falls into this kind of fable but it's still kind of realism and the way that which is why it starts with like you know the marley's the Mar- jacob marley was dead the marley's was dead was muppet christmas Carol. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like, oh, so and i love that it's, that it's jacob and robert marley. yes <laughs> Bob Marley. (laughs) (laughs) But like, so like that, that thing, that narrative technique of like, oh, he puts it on like the, the angel, the the angel, the um, The ghost of Christmas uh, past, ghost of Christmas past kind of puts this thing on his head and it, it sort of emanates all these memories. Right. And like, that was really powerful because, because essentially what this is, is that a guy walking through the novel of his own life, the novelization that somehow someone was writing all of this down and and now I'm walking through it, and now I'm forced to learn about the mistakes that I've made. So I was that for ask me you, was really powerful. I didn't reread this, but like the, I did want to talk about like the way the ghosts are described and the way yeah. because I I think especially like the ghost of Christmas past doesn't really yeah. have in its cinematic adaptations like a common visual. Uh, you know, descriptor or like any, any, like each one seems to just like, some are just a dude. Some are like a little floating angel. Some, you know, yeah. like they, they vary wildly. Whereas, you know, the present and the future seem to have like, you know, one's like a big dude in a robe, the others, you know, like, yeah. like the grim and a green robe. Yeah. Yeah. So like there, there are sort of like, there's a template for that, but the ghost of Christmas past always seems to be like a bit of a surprise. So what, do you remember what it says in the book? for uh yeah i'm looking at it now it's a dude with Um, a cone (laughs) uh okay here we go even this though when scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness was not its strangest quality um it was oh here it is but the strangest thing about it was from the crown of its head there sprung a bright clear jet of light by which all of this was visible and which was doubtless the occasion of its using in its duller moments a great extinguisher for a cap which it now held under its uh, under its arm even though, sorry, I'm getting to it. Even though, even this though, when Scrooge looked at it with increasing steadiness was not its strangest quality. For as its belt sparkled and glittered now in one part and now in another, and what was, and what was light one instant and another time, and another, at another time was dark. So the figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now with one leg, now with 20 legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body, of which 
dissolving parts, no outline would be visible in the dense gloom wherein they melted away. And in the very wonder oh of this, it would be itself again, distinct and clever as ever. Yeah, this is uh, that, this is good stuff. Yeah, that, I mean, like I can see reading that and being like, oh, let's just get Buster Poindexter in a taxi cab. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, no, it's this. It really is this vision. I mean, the whole thing of Jacob Marley also confronting him is like like him the ghostliness of him and so at one point this like he his jaw drops right and that the best adaptation of that i mean no i know we're not getting into that but we should but that's 100 percent scrooged the bill murray thing with like the best like i mean the fun thing about this book and the, and the many adaptations of it is that you can and this is true with dickens in general is that you can watch all these different people from different backgrounds and different contexts with different media limitations, like there's radio adaptations, a ton of them oh, too, yeah. right? So like with different limitations and different forms, take on this, you know, pretty straightforward story, right? Like there's nothing really special about it. Like, but it, it, as we just read, each character has these kind of supernatural elements, even though it is a realist novel, right? Like it's not a fantasy novel. It's not Harry Potter, right? Where like, these are magical things that live in this world where it's just like that this guy lives in a real bleak world of 19th century, mid 19th century London. Yeah. Like it's, it's brutal. It's cold. He's eating gruel. You know, he's this lonely miserly dude. He, you know, he's just kind of mean, a jerk. Nobody likes him. No family, nothing like an orphan. Right. Well, this I was guy who's kind of orphanhood. Because yeah. obviously your focus, your background in, in terms of examining Dickens was in terms of orphanhood. What is the Scrooge background? Is he an orphan? I know he's kind of like sent away from his family, like boarding school or whatever, but do his parents die? So, okay. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of the, I, I, I mean, even though I reread it, this is actually a hard question for me to read. There is, when they jump into his past, because now all I think of is Bill Murray and like him being watch watching TV as a kid, right. like watching the Western. <laughs> That's all I see. Uh, but like when they jump into his past, there's a kind of he he visits his friends and uh, uh, what was his name? WYSIWYG? Fozzywig? Or whatever his name was. Fozzywig might have been something too. <laughs> yeah. Fo <laughs> Fozzywig is definitely. Fozzy I'll, give you, I'll give you a, a, a clue for figuring it out. If the name contains the name of a Muppet, it's probably from the Muppet one. <laughs> Bob Marley, that's still so good. Uh, well, but like, I know, like in the not to jump too far ahead because we're going to talk about the movie versions in a second. But in like the Alistair Sim movie, I was reading that one of the additions to yeah. that was the idea that uh, Scrooge's nephew, who he's such an asshole to, yes, was I don't know if he was explicitly an orphan, but the idea was that yeah. his mother died in childbirth, and who was yes. Scrooge's sister, who he loved, and that's why. He's so mean to him. And I do. I love the fact that that movie was just like punching up Dickens, whereas like, yeah, and, and totally successfully. But like, you know, they were like looking at the story and be like, well, I think we need a reason why he's just such a jerk to this poor guy. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. Why? Because it is at Christmas time that want is most keenly felt and abundance rejoices. Uh, what can I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, sir, that is my answer. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. And some would rather die. If they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, it's not my business. Isn't it, sir? No. 
Yeah, um, yeah. You know, some 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 versions really make him more. They really embellish, like the, the the like the Muppet version, for instance. They make him a landlord, and he's like he's he's uh, evicting people on Christmas Day. Like he doesn't he doesn't do that in the novel. Wait, in the Muppet version, he is. Yeah, like Michael Caine is like. He's the uh, like he's he's uh, there. He's he's forces the rats to sign eviction notices. There's like oh, a stack of them. That. I remember he they does like that in things. the uh, in the Disney like the Mickey's Christmas Carol. He's also like, oh wow. He like forecloses on his fiance's house or something. Like he's really uh, bad. Yeah, they yeah they make these choices and embellishments. Like actually a really I mean again we're jumping into this too early, but like a good thing to. With these movies and with these Dickens adaptations, you can usually find like a few at least, definitely one that's extremely uh, that's extremely loyal to the original text, yeah. like almost to the to a fault. And and in this case, that's the George C. Scott from the eighties. It's like it's sometimes word for word, a lot of times it's word for word, mm. but it's uh, it captures a lot. George C. Scott at first is like a silly Ebenezer Scrooge because he's like I don't know he's not he's not great, yeah, but. The way that sometimes it's good to watch those original ones I found, or not the original ones, but those ones that are kind of intentionally close to the, yeah. the original, and to use those as a kind of like weight to think about the other ones. That's not exactly fair to the other ones, or actually to that one too. But yeah, because it is useful. I kind of like that, like you know, the book is its own thing, but it almost becomes like. Uh, you know, like a folk story or something where it's like it gets passed down so many times that like, you know, a later version, you know, starts to incorporate things from a previous telling that wasn't necessarily yeah. in the original book. Like another addition that the Alistair Sim one made was the idea that like Scrooge's former girlfriend or fiance or whatever was in the present day, like working uh with like yeah. the poor like she got involved in charity which is another thing that scrooge uh yeah, like that's where really scrooge took. got it from yeah uh, so i do love that there's this kind of like yeah like we're like oral storytelling tradition but in like movie and tv form but well let's get into some of the movies because i know you watched some early adaptations you were texting me did you watch the very first uh live action uh movie version from 1901 no. It was no. called Mar I think it's called Marley's Ghost. Uh and okay. it was like six minutes long and only three minutes have survived until now, but they're all on YouTube and you can watch it. It's pretty impressive for nineteen oh one. It's a lot of like super in imposition and stuff. Uh but uh they <laughs> because it was just six minutes long, like they really condensed it. So Jacob Marley is the <laughs> only ghost, which uh, oh, okay. It's kind of a good edit in a way. Like you can see an editor getting that and be like, "Chuck, we just bring it to down to one ghost. You don't need four ghosts. Like one ghost shows exactly. up and then tells them the three more ghosts are coming. So it's just Jacob Marley being like, "Here's your past. Here's your present. Here's your future." And I'm out. Uh, but it's With commercials. Of, yeah. But it was kind of interesting to see. Uh, which was the one that you watched that you sent uh, me? That was from 1910. Okay. And this is an Edison silent film directed by J. Searle Dawley. And it's one of the earliest ones. It features Mark McDermott as Ebenezer Scrooge. And yeah, this, and it's like, uh, it's 13 minutes. Okay. So this the, is a bit longer. The first feature, I think, was something called The Right to Be Happy in 1916. Oh, uh, wow. I didn't watch that one, but the 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 first one on this list that I'd actually like seen previously was the 1938 Reginald Owen one, 
which is another one that you know gets played. I haven't seen that. Uh, I remember it being okay. It's it's one that gets played on TV from time to time. But of course, the big one that people you know that I grew up with that you know gets played on TV every year is the 1951 Alistair Sim version, which was just called Scrooge in the UK, uh, and I think was called A Christmas Carol here. Um, I mean, this movie is a classic. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I I I own, I watched it before. Uh, like ages ago, and then I rewatched it. I obviously Alistair Sim is like one of the two best Scrooges. We can like argue about that, but like just you know how it's like you know whatever. Like one of the greatest, isn't he? Like one of like up there with what's his name with Richard Burton and stuff. Like in terms of uh, the caliber of he's like a whatever, but like he uh, there is that. But that version I found. The tiny Tim to be so ridiculous. He's like eight that, feet tall. <laughs> yeah, he does not look sick at all. He is like he and, and then you know what I realized? I was like, oh my god, Tiny Tim is Willy Wonka from the sixties Willy Wonka movie. Like it's it, like that's where it that guy like him, got yeah. that looks like him. Same kind of vibe. The actor was just doing that. I was like, oh, but I so I found that kind of silly. That I found silly, that yeah. like there were. There were a lot of additions to the to the in the Alistair Sim version. There's a lot of padding around those um, those sections. I found the Ghost of Chris. You know what? I, you know what else I thought about? It reminded me of, and we've seen so many versions of this because of the frame story element. The frame story is like is you know this Ebenezer Scrooge guy like looking back at his life with these three supernatural beings who kind of show up at his house mm-hmm. with like no explanation, and like that frame story element is is apparent in like other is apparent in like other Dickens books. But like here, the it reminded me of especially the first one, like the childhood thing, it reminded me of not just What a Wonderful Life, but also Wait, Citizen it's a wonderful Kane. Life? It's a wonderful what a wonderful <laughs> life. It's a wonderful life and Citizen Kane. Yeah. Of the act of and once again, like to like repeat what I said earlier, like the act of recollection and memory as a um, kind of engine for your pen, you know, to kind of write the story and kind of get to watch it unfold. Because, you know, the implotment of this story is weird, right? Like it doesn't, not that not much happens. Yeah. Like he, it starts outside of his house. He goes to his house um, and he falls asleep and he has these like nightmares and then he wakes up and it's like, you know, it, it's all in one night. It ends up being all in one night. Yeah. And that is... That is a pretty simple story, but it's the memories that make it so memorable, right? Like it's the, and not just, I guess the first one of the memories, but the second one is the, the switch to the kind of supernatural thing of let's go around and look at, look at what's happening around you. So it's, that's the narrator. It's basically like some, some characters play the role, like these ghosts play the role of the omniscient narrator who introduces the reader who's Scrooge to his own life, to like the novel. And it's telling the story like out of order to a certain extent. Right. Too. Like, right. I mean, it's almost like, you know, in a way, like it anticipates even like later works like, you know, Slaughterhouse-Five and and stuff like that. Right. Where it's like we're, we're using the idea of time travel, but we're basically just telling like a guy's life story right. in a slightly different way. I mean, yeah, it's a wonderful life. Definitely. Like, I mean, that gets, uh, you know, propped up as like the greatest Christmas movie for a lot of people. But I mean, it owes a lot to 
yeah. to this story. And uh, Christmas in general, like maybe you can contextualize this for me a bit better, but like I was reading like that at the time, partly why this book was so huge and why like, you know, the, we didn't talk about how like Dickens, you know, would perform this and, you know, it added to his celebrity in terms of like a, you know, he was almost like a rock star, like going around yeah. just like uh, performing a Christmas carol. But like, I was reading that uh, at the time, obviously that you like you were saying it was a real stink hole in uh, in London <laughs> yeah. at that time. But like that, Christmas was kind of on the outs. Like people were not celebrating Christmas, or or it was not as popular. And this story, uh, this one story, like really revitalized the idea yeah. of celebrating Christmas at that time in England. Is that true? Yeah, generally it's true. I think there are, I mean, there's a lot of written about this. There's a lot of, there's like that movie, right? The Man Who Invented Christmas. I yeah, I never watched it. that. Yeah, I probably will now, but like, yeah, because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's Christopher Plummer, right? Like, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Like, how many times do you get to see that? But, you know, part of the story behind that, it's that, okay, so Dickens was a, was the story is that he's the, he's a commercial author. Like, he is a, like mass cultural phenomenon and because at his at the time of his life like a huge author like the biggest in the world going around not just england but across the world giving these readings traveling the globe like this was he embodied a literary authorship that had never really been seen in that kind of world before now is it because of dickens or is it because of the time he lived in where remember this is a time where hundreds of millions of people come under the reign of the union jack like the british empire is reaching he gets to watch it you know however much you want to describe its peak and stuff but in terms of its kind of consumption of the world this is going full steam during his time and he sees these transformations and so part of what happens too is mass cultures get invented during the time of his life and in the aftermath too and partly because of him but also partly related to the fact that like He's an object of mass cultural consumption, right? right? His name. So like, it's like a chicken and the egg thing. It's like, oh, do they make adaptations about him because they're profitable? Or are they profitable because they make adaptations about him? Right? Like, like, which one is it? Like, is it, or is it like popular because it's canonical? Or is it canonical because it's popular? Right? Like, why, why do canons exist? And Dickens embodies for a lot of time, like the idea of a canon. And also there is a Dickens industry right not just in terms of the adaptations of his work and he was the first member of that industry okay he was the he was like he was a um like he was a commercial guy like he thought he edited books he he released like publishing by serialization was a commercial choice yeah yeah. right that was at the time also let's be honest a laziness choice (laughs) well this guy was 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 absolutely like he was hyper beyond Beyond all measure, he was doing 20 things at once. And then he would go on like like six-hour walks at like night. Like the guy had like, you know, a ton of energy. Um, he was, and there, th- this thing of his though, is that the, the, he produced so much work and it was a universe of characters. It was like a world. And so kind of today when we talk about Marvel Universe, DC Universe, like Dickens was one of these early progenitors. And he wasn't the only one in his time. Even Thomas Hardy's novels, who was kind of his kind of his uh, contemporary, he he had like a universe of characters, a shared universe in this kind of fictional place. So like 
This is a time when authors <laughs> are writing books. I, I just can't help but like get over the image of you as like a, a desperate librarian at a school. Be like, <laughs> you kids love the Marvel Universe. You love the DC Universe. Let me introduce you to the Dickens Universe. <laughs> Do you know about Uncle Pumblechook, folks? He's a real banger. <laughs> he was the original Iron Man. <laughs> Uh, I know there is this mode of being like, did you like this, kids? Well, Dickens did it. And like, that's a big mode of, of Dickens' criticism. But like, part of it has to do with the fact that, yeah, like mass culture, as we understand it, that got exported to the world like really violently, right? Yeah. Like, we're talking, we're, we're speaking English like for a reason because a lot of 19, because people in the era that Dickens lived in hopped on boats and went and went and like took part in like the colonization of the world. Like, Dickens's dad was like a Navy clerk. Like he was part of it, you know, like that was like Dickens like circulated the globe on the, on this commodity, on this kind of circulation of commodities that was, that was kind of, you know, um, its foundations were dug by the violence of the Navy in like the 17th, 18th and like 19th centuries, like 18th, 19th more realistically. Right. Like, and he also lived through incredibly violent time. Like again, all those like incredible amount of violence. And so, Part of the success of Dickens as a mass author was his books were his books were consumed and they were really beloved and people would people would, would then want to be around him they would go to his readings and he was a, he was a kind of celebrity author and along with that came these these things surrounding his books and the phrases and then but then part of the complication here is that it's the Dickens sort of memorial industry that rises like basically like around the time of his death you know like people were obsessed with talking and thinking about dickens i mean he kept he he famously burned all his letters like one night just to like he's like ah screw you people you're not gonna know this and they like right. burned them because he like didn't want it, people he didn't want people and so like you know it's, ever it's since the then, old time been, equivalent like, of like clearing your browser doing your hard drive yeah. yeah or like yeah <laughs> like clearing your search history clear your hard drive you know, like this was uh, this was a guy who was conscious, very conscious about his legacy. Yeah. And so in some ways, the fact like these traditions around this and the consumption of his name and the linkage of his name. Now, I definitely have to go watch this movie. I mean, I'm sure there's like you can make complaints about it. Yeah, I stuff, think but... I think my parents saw it. Uh, but in terms of like uh, specifically like the celebration of Christmas, like I, I get that like the popularity of it may have also made christmas more popular at the time but i think there's also something to this story as this like predominant christmas story that really like ushered in i'm i i again i don't know but i'm guessing like it really helped usher in the way we celebrate christmas today which is very uh for for you know a large part of the population very secular right like i love christmas but i'm not religious at all And I think part of the reason why people like me grew up loving Christmas is like that we have all of these Christmas mythologies that are so separate from like the birth of Jesus, you know, like one of them being a Christmas carol, uh, you know, Santa, obviously. But I feel like a Christmas carol, A, is completely secular. I mean, there are some references to religion in the story, but not a whole lot. Um, Yeah, it's humanism to the core. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, two, I think like part of the reason why this endures and is so popular is because it's it can appeal to kids. Like there's mm-hmm. cartoon versions, there's the Muppet version, but it's also like a very like I mean you almost age into it. Like it's about an yeah. old man 
yeah thinking about yeah. his regrets in life like it's like yeah. wild strawberries or something like it's, well great expectations too great expectations it's written by the older pip oh okay and and he's remembering his life and it's an old man looking backwards and reassessing things and that reassessment is what the reader sort of encounters because he sort of that and that's the narrator's role and that's what's so interesting in a lot of dickens's stuff is like the sort of the different the kind of um the uh all the different fi- figures who come together like some some of it, like bleak house famously one of the characters like one of the narrators is like i think there's like different narrators of it who take over and one of them is like the voice of esther summerson right like one of the main characters so he adopts the voice of like a young girl which is like something he does in like a few other stories um and it's like you know the guy wrote so much over his life just the sheer amount of stuff that he wrote and left behind you know, you can find anything of everything. But the Christmas thing is particularly important here. I'm going to read a quote. Um, this is from the Oxford Modern World Classics uh, intro. Um, where was it? Da, 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 da. Here it is. Uh, here we go. Um, Originally written as a tract for the times, this cautionary tale about the ongoing tussle between greed and goodness has been thought of as timely whenever it has been read. Enjoyed by its first reader as a modern expression of the spirit of Christmas, as, a, as modern as Christmas cards, which were sent for the first time in the same year as right. the Carol's publication, it has since become popular for quite different reasons. The sense of tradition it is thought to embody a reminder of the simple pleasures that seem to have been lost sight of in seasonal scrum of shoppers, an annual invitation to the pleasures of nostalgia. Reproduced so often and in so different forms, it has become as, uh, has become as much a part of Christmas as mince pies or turkeys, with the key difference that, <laughs> as Martin Heidegger argued, was true of all classic works, it has never been, quote, used up. There have been dozens of films starring everyone from Laurence Olivier and Ralph Richardson to Mr. Magoo and Mickey Mouse, operas and ballets, an all-black musical, Benjamin Britten's Men of Goodwill, uh, even even a BBC mime version in 1973 starring Marcel uh, Marceau. Well, that just so- sounds like the worst. <laughs> So regular are the annual returns of the carol to our stages and screens, in fact, that has become something like a secular ritual, he called it, an alternative Christmas story to its more obviously religious rival, in which the three wise men are replaced by three instructive spirits. Oh, that's true. And the pilgrimage to a child in a manger is replaced by a visit to a house of Tiny Tim. Even people who have never read carol... Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's the, the inverse, opposite right? of a yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Even people who have never read the carol know the story of Scrooge, the miserable old skin flint who repents after being visited by the ghost of Christmas past, ghost of blah, 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 blah. So wildly and deeply has this story entered the popular imagination that phrases such as bah humbug have floated free of their original context and acquired the force of common proverbs. While Scrooge himself has entered the language as a piece of cultural shorthand, quote, used elusively to describe a miserly tight-fisted person or killjoy. Yeah. Um, I was yeah, thinking about, do you remember when we were kids at uh, Canadian Tire? Canadian Tire? They yes. had that, they had an ad campaign that was like, yes. give like Santa, Stand, Santa save like Scrooge. Save like be Scrooge. Santa Scrooge. Oh my God. Which always bothered me because it's like, the whole point of the story was that, was to curb that impulse, was to yeah. be generous and, and not yeah. cheap. It's to not, and not to think about money. Right, oh, like I, not think in terms of like the money aspect. One one thing but, I do want to say, I want to move into move on to some of these other film versions, but th- still staying on the Alistair Sim one for a second. 
there's a moment in that that I don't know if it's from the book. It probably is. And I don't know if it's, I don't remember it being in any other film adaptations, but it's the moment between when he closes up his office and when he goes home, he goes for dinner. Yes. And the dinner. Th- yeah. Is that in the book? That, that it's, yeah, I think it's mentioned in the book, okay. but the scene in it yeah, isn't. Cause the scene is like, he's eating bread and he, calls the waiter over and he says more bread and the waiter's like it's a hey penny extra and he goes no more bread <laughs> and it's and i think it's such a key scene because well he's so good in it alistair sim but also uh it's a key scene because it also shows that like scrooge isn't just it's not just that he hates people he, it's that also that he's like cheap to himself like he shortchanges yeah. himself and that first and foremost, like he would, he, like he has all this money, and he won't even pay a halfpenny for the bread he wants on Christmas Eve. It's uh, just such. It just encapsulates a lot about what that, uh, what is great about that character. A couple other things I wanted to mention. <laughs> I've watched this movie so many times, often with my dad. It's his favorite Christmas movie, and so oh, really? we've, we've noticed a lot of like weird things in it. I mean, like the British film industry was not as often as high budgeted as like the. Uh, uh, Hollywood equivalent at that time so like there are some like weird continuity errors in this movie uh, my dad always points out that there's a scene where like Scrooge looks out the window that Jacob Marley shows him and it's all the like ghosts all the like disembodied souls and there's this creepy music uh, they I guess didn't have enough extras because one of the ghosts is Bob Cratchit it's the same actor <laughs> uh, and the other uh <laughs> The other hilarious mistake is at the end of the movie, if you if you watch, uh, there's uh, a part where Scrooge is, you know, rede- redeemed and he uh, is happy and he runs over to the mirror and looks at himself in the mirror. And you can see like a crew member behind him, like shuffling around. <laughs> and I always like to uh, joke that that's one of the Christmas ghosts who like, you know, left his keys in <laughs> Scrooge's bedroom. Um but it's great. And just before we leave Alistair Sim, I do want to mention that uh, something I didn't realize about this movie or about his performance is that he reprised the role of Scrooge. Did you know this? No. For a 1971 short animated film directed oh, wow. by Richard Williams, who's from Toronto and who did the animation for Roger Rabbit and uh, and some other stuff. He did that uh, movie. Is it The Thief and the Cobbler? It was like this movie he was trying to finish for like decades, uh, but famous animator and it was produced by Chuck Jones. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it's fantastic. It's all on YouTube. It's only like 25 minutes. It's okay. great. Like, I mean, it's Alistair Sim doing the voice. So that's great. And then, I mean, he sounds a lot older, but it, it works, obviously. And then some scenes are like genuinely scary, like the animation, like Jacob Marley is terrifying. It's it's phenomenal. Like, I, I'd never heard of it. And I was reading like Vox wrote an article about how it's the best adaptation ever, like of, wow. of A Christmas Carol. It's really good. It won the Oscar for best short film that year. Wow. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Like I said, it's all on YouTube. Uh, next up, I wanted to talk about the uh, 1970 Albert Finney version which is a musical called wow, i've Scrooge. never seen that oh wow. man it's i'd never seen all of it i've seen parts of it on tv and i watched some of it today uh it's it's crazy it's pretty good like i love albert finney alec guinness plays jacob marley and uh wow there's one really crazy scene <laughs> Where you know at the end when the ghost of Christmas future, you know, shows him his grave uh in the big climactic scene, instead of just like seeing his grave or like falling in 
into the you know the plot or i feel like that's you know another element of the story that's always being changed or modified or like you know adaptations are being like picked up on by other adaptations but in that version scrooge falls into the the hole next to the grave and continues falling until he's in the bowels of hell and it's it's just <laughs> literally like this like bright red you know uh sets like this very phony looking set but it's all red and smoky and like there's just this fake stone and then jacob marley comes is like oh you're dead welcome to hell or you know something that effect is like let me show you your your room (laughs) It's, it's so weird uh yeah so that's a weird one mickey's christmas carol uh 1983 was a a short disney film that was uh i think on a re-release of the jungle book or something uh, but that was the first one I saw um, when I was a kid. First one I saw was actually Scrooged. <laughs> really? That was like the first. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and then and so that's been the kind of the 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 uh, what I used to what I used to sort of judge the rest of them. Although um, now that I've reread the novel, it's like it me it means the Scrooge adaptation actually means much more to me now. I was like, wow, that was really subtle. Those are like really subtle decisions they made. Right. Uh, there was, yeah. So the George C. Scott one you mentioned, you just watched that recently. Uh, Yeah. I remember I watched that a long time ago and I remember just not buying when he's nice at the end because I just find George C. Scott kind of creepy. He's kind of goofy. He's kind of goofy, but the, uh, if you could just get over that, how goofy he is, uh, then it's actually a fun adaptation to just use as a kind of plumb line to watch the other ones. Mr. Cratchit. The fire's gone cold, Mr. Scrooge. Come over here, Mr. Cratchit. What is this? A shirt. And this? A waistcoat. And this? A coat. These are garments, Mr. Cratchit. Garments were invented by the human race's protection against the cold. Once purchased, they may be used indefinitely for the purpose for which they are intended. Cold burns. Uh, I mean, Scrooge, obviously, we've talked about. The Muppets, we've talked about. I mean, that, for my money, might be the best version. Um, Michael Caine's just so good in it. No, you don't agree? That one is great. That I love. I I, I have a confession. I actually had never seen it until... Like, I had seen, I had, of course, I had known about it. Like, I had only watched The Muppets recently. Like, I watched, like, the Manhattan movie, like, when I was living in New York, just as, like, no, a lark. I was like, Woody oh, this Allen. is what. <laughs> but I was like, oh, this is why people love The Muppets. Muppets take Manhattan, right? And I was like, yeah. oh, this is why people love them. That's, like, I just, the I knew worst the, one. Why I knew would the you cartoon. <laughs> I don't know. It was just on or something. And I knew that I knew the cartoon Muppet Babies. That's what I knew them from. Oh, my so God. So watching How this. about this? I know, I know. I just—I was never a Muppets fan. I, but watching this, I first of all, um, Michael Caine is amazing. He's, He's actually so amazing. Bob Cratchit. Yes, Mr. Scrooge. Who is this? It's Mr. Applegate, sir. He's here to speak to you about his mortgage. Please, Mr. Scrooge. I know you're very angry about this, and I didn't mean to fall behind in the payments. Lord knows it, being Christmas and all. Oh, please don't shout at me, sir. That and, of course, little Gwen. Her lungs aren't right. The doctor takes his share, don't he? I mean, you can yell and scream and you're right, but it won't do no good because I'm the stone you can't squeeze blood from and that's the truth. 
Thank you for not shouting at me. Bob, like Miss Bob Cratchit, as like Kermit as Bob Cratchit is amazing because yeah. Bob Cratchit ultimately, and this is kind of like the darker side of this, is like this. This is like a story of like, oh, if you're like, I don't know. Okay. It, 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 people demand of their books different. Like they want, sometimes you read a book, you're like, how come this doesn't, I disagree with the political message of this, which is fine or whatever. But then it's, you can't like kind of force the author. You can't kind of project those feelings back onto the author. So I'm, I'm taking a risk in doing that as I say this, but like you, you, we, you read this novel now in the kind of general tenor of it, which is, you know, put away your, this your obsession with commodities and wealth and this meaningless thing and embrace the family life around you. And the thing about Bob Cratchit, though, is that this guy is abused to no end by this terrible man who abuses him. Yeah. And his his child is dying as a result yeah. it's of... It's going to take more like, than the turkey to yeah, turn like, that around. Like, like his house isn't warm, right? So this kid is dying, doesn't have the necessary... Like, he's been killing this kid this whole time. Yeah. And the underneath and and dickens is often accused of this is that oh if you just yeah. if you just sort of agree to the rules of of liberal charity then or like liberal kind of like humanism then you know you can kind of like redeem yourself now this is complicated and it depends on the era that he's writing in or whatever blah 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 this is simplifying like a man with a very complicated background but that that underlying kind of um shriekly um what's the word i'm looking for the word people always use is sentimentality, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of sentiment. There's a lot of feeling. Like Dickens was an earnest guy. Like he wasn't like a, I mean, he, you know, he was many things in his life. But on paper, like these, like the way, especially especially towards, like especially in those early eras, like you read Oliver Twist, which is like his first kind of novel novel, because before that is different. It's like Pickwick Papers. And they're kind of different than that. But like Oliver Twist, which is like a big sensation, is the narrator is basically Dickens. It's like this annoying guy who's very like, you know, kind of like very self-serious and whatever. And then there's like the late guy, there's like David Copperfield and there's great expectations. And it's this kind of like rugged dude. He's been living this double life. Like Dickens lived the total double life. He had this secret marriage. Everybody should read or watch the movie, The Invisible Woman about Ellen Turnin, his like very, his, his younger, um, you know, they say mistress and stuff, but it was basically his partner and stuff. He had two wives, essentially. Yeah, he wasn't had one, one wife of them like he... a teenager? Yeah, Ellen yeah. Turner. Like, he met her when she was a teenager. Dickens, I, I did have something... I did have something very controversial to tweet that I'm only going to give to listeners of this episode, which is oh, if he were alive today, he'd probably rewrapped up an Epstein because the man did have right. a, uh, a unhealthy interest with young women. Yeah. Uh, very and like assuming their name like you know kind of being close to i mean and she was very young when they met and where were the they, christmas ghosts warning him not to do that <laughs> yeah exactly so like so a lot of like like here's the creepy thing they they would like they they were in public together they were seen in public together because they spent a lot of time together and the kind of ex the explanation of why this guy was like hovering around her is that he was like her mentor avuncular dude. Uh, it's okay. like, mm. okay. And like, yeah, let's stop. Yeah. You're ruining. Muffin <laughs> yeah, movies I'm not going to ruin it. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I, moving on. I do want to mention the 1999 Patrick Stewart version. Oh uh, my God. I didn't get around to watching this. I just learned about it from you. I watched some of it. I have the audiobook I was listening to is the Patrick Stewart audiobook because he did it as a one-man show he did oh, he basically cool. did what dickens did he did kind of like an abridged version that he just performed the whole book and yeah 
I, I do enjoy the movie version because he's good in it and the audiobook's great, but man, I wish there was just a filmed version of him doing that show. Uh, I do want to mention, it's still worth watching, uh, Richard E. Grant, the great Richard E. Grant, is Bob Cratchit, and uh, Fred, the nephew, is played by McNulty, <laughs> Dominic West. What? <laughs> what? McNulty? McNulty? What are you doing there? <laughs> um, there is a 2001 uh, animated movie called Christmas Carol, the movie. Uh, speaking of Orson Welles, uh, his biographer, oh, yeah. Simon Callow, does the voice of Scrooge. Kate Winslet is Belle. And you'll never guess who plays Jacob Marley. It's Nicolas Cage. Oh, my God. Of of what was the movie that I, what's my favorite movie of all time? National Treasure fame. Yeah. Uh, then there's <laughs> did you see that Jim Carrey, Robert Zemeckis version from a few years ago? Uh, oh, my God. It was uh, creepy. Uh, Gary, Old, I think really... it's. I, I mean, I'm either having a stroke or Gary Oldman was Bob Cratchit because, with that horrible motion capture, uncanny valley look. Yeah. It was terrifying. I saw it in the movie theater. Um, there was a recent uh, miniseries on FX with Guy Pierce that was the, the kind of hook of that. I think I haven't watched it, but I was thinking about watching it this year. The hook of that is that it's actually like leaning into the horror. It's trying to be scary. Um, oh, okay. That, I think I got that. That's the vibe I got from the poster. Yeah, yeah, like, but that yeah, could be interesting. Like um, there are even weirder adaptations of this story that I want to talk about in a minute. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back on Rewatchability, part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network. We're talking about all the different adaptations of A Christmas Carol with Sina Romani. Uh, Sina, this is a great work of English literature, right? Oh, yeah. So naturally, it was used as the plot of in a bunch of sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> like sitcom episodes? Yeah, like a ton. I, I was looking at too many to mention. I mean, there's too many adaptations to mention. There are just so many. But I do want to talk about some of the weirder ones. Uh, did you ever see the Saved by the Bell one? No, my God. Did you see the Family Ties one? Probably, but I blanked okay. it from my memory. Uh, how about the Blackadder one? Did you ever see that? I I saw that. That was available as an audiobook. Is oh, okay. it good? It's great, yeah. Because the idea behind that is that they completely flip it. It's... Uh, the Scrooge character, the who's Blackadder, is the nicest person in England, and oh. <laughs> the ghost comes to visit him, and it's Robbie Coltrane, and he's really just like popping by to say hi and say like, "Good job being so nice to everyone." But then he shows him uh, his past and you know all the sort of previous Blackadder characters and sees how successful they are being mean. That by the end of it, it turns him into a horrible person. And he, it's it's the complete reverse of. Uh, of, of the original story. <laughs> I gotta see that. It, it is actually very funny. Uh, it's been used as a lot of cartoons too, like on Looney Tunes and the Flintstones, Animaniacs, Ghostbusters. Did you ever watch the episode of the real Ghostbusters that involved a Christmas Carol? No, but I know the show. 
Uh, it's it was an episode called Xmas Marks the Spot, uh, and the plot is zapped back in time to 1837 England. The Ghostbusters unknowingly trap the ghosts of Christmas, thereby saving Ebenezer Scrooge from his scheduled redemption or rehabilitation. <laughs> the future is challenged, and they must go back to, in time to change it. So, I remember that being pretty good. Actually, I think I watched it a few years ago. Uh, it's been used in a lot of sci-fi shows. Quantum Leap had a Christmas Carol episode where Al the hologram had to pretend to be a ghost. Uh, the X-Files did a riff on it with like a haunted house. And uh, more pertinent to uh, our concerns, you and me, uh, Star Trek has made reference to it a lot. Um, there was the episode where Data is acting acting out the story on the holodeck. You remember that? Oh yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then like they reference, uh, like on Voyager, they reference it a few times. And so there was an article on star Trek.com about like, Hey, why have, why has humanity seemingly evolved past celebrating Christmas? Because they never do that on any star Treks. But this story for some reason yeah. is still like this cultural touchstone and it's kind of an interesting article because they basically talk about some of what we've been talking about is like you know so much of the themes of that book like resonate with like the utopian ideal of the star trek world like it's about yeah. you know embracing yeah. like humanity and rejecting you know yeah. uh profits and and uh the economy or or yeah. economic concerns but uh yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Also in that article made reference to, and I can't believe I hadn't thought of this before, that the finale of Star Trek The Next Generations, Star yeah. Trek The Next Generation, is basically yeah. the structure of A Christmas Carol, where right. Q is like the ghost, and he's showing him ghost, the past, yeah. present, and future. And then, he yeah, is, yeah. and then he's slightly nicer at the end and goes to a poker game. Yeah, well, it's, it's when you look at, when you, when you find a textualized version of your life, which is which is um, also the plot of our our beloved comedy movie uh, of uh, what's it called? Defending your life, right? Like right, you're yeah. confronted you're confronted with the novelization of your life, and when you read it the way that you would anybody, which is a biography, right? But because it's like because it's like you know written in that realist mode in all of these movies that we've cited, because it's it's memory, right? And so memory can't be isn't fiction, right? Memory is something that it's a picture of what happened, at least, you know, in the ideal way we think of memory. But in fact, it's the uh, memory as a place to that we go visit to teach us about ourselves and to make us, you know, reconsider our lives and that kind of like instructive element of the book, the kind of yeah. like moralistic thing, which Dickens is famous for. And even in terms of like the movies, like the cinematic language of how we tell flashbacks, I think was yes. inspired by this. Like I was even just watching like well, the show, you know, the show Yellow Jackets. No, I don't. It's a, it's a new show. But anyways, there was a flashback, and the way they told the flashback was you kind of see the flashback, but you see the character who's thinking about it, like, in the scene as an adult, kind of watching herself as a kid. And, like, I right. can't – I would certainly doubt there was an earlier example of that sort of visual way of t of showing a flashback – before a movie version of a Christmas Carol, where you're you're seeing the older self literally, you know, in the room witnessing their past, like it's just become such a common thing. But I'm sure that must have been because of a Christmas Carol. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, a lot of things. There's a temptation to be like, oh, Dickens is the first to do this, and I and like, like as I mentioned, I don't and, I don't mean Dickens you know, necessarily. I'm saying, but yeah, in, the in influence the movies, of it. Yes, because I don't yeah. even know, like, in the book, do they explicitly say like, you know that 
that Scrooge is like in the room watching himself? Do they comment on that? Well, no, they comment extent? on they comment on. I was noticing that in the um, the thing about the cone, right? And then the Ghost of Christmas Present. Now it's escaping me. How does how do the mechanics of the Ghost of Christmas Present work? Because he's just a dude in a robe, and then we find out he's got like two little was kids like... in that robe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that was the next guy, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that's a present. Remember, he's, oh yeah, that's present. He's, yeah, he's got this, the two kids. This hanging little out girl there. is one. Yeah, this little true. boy is ignorance. And yeah, it's like, just, I mean, yeah. dude, just leave the ki- just let the kids go. I don't, I don't <laughs> care what their names are. Don't keep two children under your robe. That's not cool. And part of this too is that if like you're really interested in like the the, the socio historic background, is that the poor laws are. Are, this is part of the, the drama around the poor laws. And Dickens was a, before his life as a novelist, he was like a reporter. And he kind of watched a lot of legislation, a lot of sort of parliamentary action and flourish and drama go down. And he like reported it live in like articles and stuff for different publications. And a lot of that was like, okay, we've destroyed our country. What do we do now with these people who are dying on our streets? Yeah, like, yeah, and like, like the apocalyptic, like, like, look, what's the book? The Ghost Map. There's a really good book about cholera that came out. The first couple of pages oh, are yeah, about like course. mudlarking, like the yeah, like that it's book like about the... cholera. I couldn't wait to buy it. <laughs> no, but like the first pages in- illustrate like just the filth of this sort of like early industrial landscape of yeah. Victorian England. And you know, and how, I, like... I was joking about that scene, but like that's a moment that doesn't get used in a lot of adaptations from my it's certainly not in the Muppet one but like it is such a chilling moment and it, and it is very effective um which one the the part where the the two like uh, emaciated children are on oh under right the rope. yes yeah um, yeah and and Dickens himself was like involved with like social ventures and stuff he like ran this like private girls college called uh urania well, that, college i'm a little suspicious yeah. of that now to be honest yeah uh, exactly like <laughs> i want to kind of part of his brand is that he was like a social reformer and if yeah. you watch that invisible woman uh with with uh ralph uh ray fines he oh, right, you yeah. can see him you can see the kind of moral crusading liberal that we still can recognize today right. um yeah in there anyways keep going uh, oh, I do just want to like rattle through some of the weirder adaptations, uh, somehow even weirder than the one with Nicolas Cage as Jacob Marley. Uh, I mean, there are just so many, like there, there's so many versions of the story. We can't talk about them all. There, some of the ones like that I have a weird association with, uh, Rich Little did a version of a Christmas Carol, you know, Rich Little, who, he was like a, an impersonator. Um, okay. I mean, he, he, I guess he still is. He's still alive. Um, Hopefully nothing happens between when we record this and when we put it up. He's quite old. But uh, he he was a famous impersonator and he did, you know, he'd go to like those celebrity roasts. He did albums. He did, you know, he's famous for doing like Nixon and Johnny Carson okay. and, you know, impressions like that. So he, he did a version. I don't know if it was a TV special first or an album first. I actually have the album for some reason. But he did an album which made slightly more sense because it's him doing the story of A Christmas Carol as celebrities so it's kind of like on the back it's like wc fields as scrooge you know like john wayne as the ghost of christmas past or whatever so he's doing all the voices but as famous celebrities and it, it kind of works as a record i guess at the time it works better i'm sure but he also did an hbo special in 1978 where he did the same thing but so he's playing all the characters like 
in these it's sometimes wearing like weird makeup to try and make himself look like you know wc fields or richard nixon or all these people and it's it's terrible it's just awful oh by the way he's in the boat and bottle business <laughs> darn carolers hope they od on happiness and what a business it was too Good morning, Mr. Scrooge. Ah, bad morning, bad morning, bad morning. His assistant, Bob Cratchit, built the boats, and Scrooge emptied the bottles. I'm dreaming of a tight Christmas. It's kind of Um, like what Dickens did in his life, too. (laughs) He was like a real, he was like a real theater guy. He was a real, and he was connected to theater people. Like, he... He made it part of his life. He really was like a, like a multi-sport athlete. Like he did it all. It was like the the link. The image we have of him as like a novelist is partly as a result of the fact that it's it's people who study novels who mostly deal with him. But the guy was like living in his time, adapting his works and stuff like that. Like it was really like a he was a content guy. Right. He was writing content. Like he would do very well on the internet today. He would be Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah, he would definitely have a podcast. Uh, (laughs) There was, I remember watching as a kid, there was a TV Western version of the story with Jack Palance called Ebenezer that I remember not liking. Uh, This I've never seen, but there was the first female Scrooge, like the first sort of gender swapped uh, version was in 1995 with the Canadian TV movie Ebby starring Susan Lucci. Uh, there's a TV musical version with Kelsey Grammer as Scrooge and Ooh, that'll uh, be a good one. Jason Alexander plays Jacob Marley. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that would be a good one. Uh, there was a, a Hallmark TV. Again, there are just so many, but one I well, want that's to mention. The thing. That's like Dickens, right? Like he's, he was a furtive mind who created stuff and it's still playing out. Yeah, well, there's this Hallmark version from 2003 was called A Carol Christmas and starred Tori Spelling as the Scrooge character. Uh, the Ghost of Christmas Past was Gary Coleman. And The Ghost of Christmas Present was William Shatner. That's two wow. Star Trek captains that have been in Christmas Carol movies. Um, and uh, I do want to mention, uh, lastly, if you haven't checked this out, I think you might get a kick out of this. But I remember hearing about a few years ago and watching some of, and I watched a little bit of it today as well. There was a, uh, like a, I guess you'd call it like a fan edit or a internet project. It's on YouTube. It's called 1200 Ghosts. And it's a, a almost hour long video that this guy made telling the story of a Christmas carol, but using all of, he used 400 different sources uh, 400 different wow. tellings of a Christmas Carol and edited wow. them, edit them all together into this one kind of video project that tells, cool. tells the story using like, you know, movies and TV shows and even like video games and comics. Like it, wow. it's pretty impressive. And like, sometimes they te- use like, you know, multiple clips at the same time in split screen or, you know, there's the image of something, but the voiceover of something else, it's, it's kind of neat and really does like hammer home just how, ubiquitous this story is well i released a radio play i released a radio version produced by orson wells with um with lionel barrymore playing scrooge right it's on my podcast feed from you know christmas of last year yeah and that didn't lionel barrymore wasn't he mr potter and it's a wonderful life yeah 
Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, again, yeah. like, It's a Wonderful Life. People love that movie, but like the, you know, it's about essentially a ghost showing somebody, you know, yeah, or changing something in their past. And there is like literally a Scrooge character <laughs> in it, but yeah. he doesn't, he yeah. doesn't get redeemed. I have heard, I think I wrote about this once, but there have been, I've never found like a great source for it, but it's, it's long been rumored that, uh, in it's a wonderful life, the studio, maybe I've talked about this on the show too, but the studio, forced frank capper to film a scene where the scrooge character mr potter has a heart attack and dies because clarence the angel scares him (laughs) because they like that was like part of like yeah because they didn't like the idea that the villain was never punished wow because he just gets away scot-free with the like eight grand at the end of that movie um have you seen it's wonderful life oh of course okay I, i hadn't seen the muppets before i don't know yeah, no, of course. I've seen it. I've seen it. I love It's a Wonderful Life, actually. It's great. It's uh it always I, I cry every single time at the end. No, I cry when they fall in the swimming pool, but I'm weird. Hee haw, hee haw. Uh well let's kind of wrap up by asking We didn't talk about Scrooged. Well, we did a little bit. I mean Barely. We did a whole episode about it, but it's great. It's eight years ago. Okay. It it was a great uh it's a great movie. I watch it every it's year. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I do, I do like the versions that do have a creepiness to them, yes. which I think Scrooge does. Like it scared me when I was a kid. Like it's, it's, it's not. It's, um, it's just the right amount of, of creepy, of funny, of like random. It's got it's the translation, like the kind of conceptual update of like Scrooge being a nasty kind of eighties go getter scumbag tv producer is so beautiful like and the character of bob cratchit (laughs) oh no no alfred woodard's really bob it's alfred woodard it's alfred woodard doesn't really have a uh his character yeah because that they the thing about him being about um yeah, this disgruntled employee, right? Like, they added that element. But, like, that ghost, I think, like, the Jacob Marley, as I said earlier, I think that's the best one I've seen on, on screen. The character that uh, whoever, whoever, who is the actor? I don't know who the actor is. Oh, God. It was, what's his name? <sighs> I always, I want to think it's Jack Palance, but it's not Jack Palance. He's in that Hitchcock movie. He's in Topaz, I think. Okay. God, I what's his know, name? But... He's a famous actor. Uh, You'll get it in a second. Crazy. But, like, that scene is amazing the uh the um the ghosts are fantastic the uh we never talked about how dickens divided it which was he divided it into stave which is like oh, right, yeah. the staff right like it's a it's from music it's like music bars you know this right mm-hmm. uh well they, yeah like I, I think i know it from a christmas carol but yeah yeah no, but i it's... mean the uh the mute it's, it's something that stave is like a christmas it's like something from yeah something it's... from music notation right yeah, I, I, John Forsyth, by the way, is the name of. Okay. Oh no, it's the Trouble with Harry. He's in. That's the one. That's the Hitchcock movie. He's in. Oh, that's the Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Stave. I'm not sure. Is it like an opera thing, or but it's like basically it's... like a chapter for for a musical piece. Dickens would like often use these things, these different books, like in Great Expectations. It's stage, stage one, stage two. This is the closing of the first stage. Of thing and it's kind of like related to stage coaching in each time. 
Oh no! It just, uh, it just like, says uh, in British musical terms, it's another term for staff. Right. So the 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 thing for what is the actual staff in a in in uh, in music like the actual thing? Isn't it like the um, definition of staff? Mm, ah, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Anyways, is that like self taught? But it it is like yeah, going going back to the title of like a Christmas Carol. It's like giving it this kind of musical musical lyrical right. sense. Yeah. I mean, okay, but to wrap up, like, let's decide what. What do you think is the most rewatchable version of A Christmas Carol? Because, I mean, it's easy to just say, like, A Christmas Carol, you kind of cycle through different versions yeah. uh, every year. Like, But is there a version that you think is the best, or not necessarily the best, but the version that you think holds up the most for you right now um, at age, uh, I think you're in your early 50s? <laughs> um, uh no i would i have to say scrooged i have to say Scrooge. really I'm you sorry. think that's the most rewatchable I, I i think that's the most rewatchable it's just it's it's more um i don't know i don't know maybe i think in my in in my in my non-academic years i find that like the charm of like recreating victorian england it to me just kind of is is like i don't care anymore because remember like there's an ex- there's a way that like when we picture the past it's cleansed right like it's cleansed of its kind of gritty whatever i mean invisible woman tries to capture some of that but like this this you know i i just you know i kind of i can't help but think that like we use dickens to kind of whitewash not whitewash but kind of just like remove the sort of unseemly aspect like of, romanticize like, it like romanticize it but also kind of aestheticize it and just kind of like make it like make it folklory and just whereas like this is a this is an incredibly powerful society, powerful a society made up of powerful individuals, right? And people like Scrooge are running this society, and yeah. uh, they are running the world in some ways. And their brutality to their workers is manifested tenfold and like or hundred billion times fold on the global population, right? Like that to the point where like oh like where he says surplus population. And that becomes like, you know, he's talking these Malthusian terms. And like, this is how Victorian elites like spoke. Like they saw the world as like, we're going to use the world for our resources and plunder it until, and it's just exists for us. Right. And so an author like Dickens writing to that audience, it's interesting to think of it in these terms, you know, like of like trying to show that, oh, the good of humanity. But it's like, you know, for me today, I would want Rob Cratchit to like attack (laughs) <laughs> to attack Scrooge right, yeah. and to like like I love the fact that like they pilt they took all like his workers should have like killed him by all like like in all in terms of like what he represented to them in terms I don't know that's like but then I'm projecting my own political desires <laughs> this really took a dark turn in like the last four minutes <laughs> of the, the guy, podcast no because this guy is like he killed this tiny Tim kid he did he did and like just thinking that oh if he's just nice from now on and if he just pays his workers that's true more, it would it's it, all fine you think like, it would be pretty early, easy to get away with with murder at that i mean he has no family there's like no forensics at that time really they could just one day scrooge would just disappear his body would be heating that office and the cratchit (laughs) family would move into that swank apartment well because he like he like moves into jacob marley's house no problem he doesn't mourn him at all he just kind of and so this thing of like oh if we just shake shake these cold heartless people with enough sentiment and and because the, the people reading this are middle class generally, right? Like and upper class. Like it's not the working. Like the people. Some people consume it, sure. Like 
like people consume it in different ways and people are having it read to them and stuff. And, but like, you know, I can't help but think that there is that to this day, we still have this very pernicious thing of if we could just get our elites to be nicer, to be better people, then, you know, things would must would be much better in our society. It's like, no, if the elites didn't have the power, they'd right, have right. that much better society. I mean, so that's, that's the thing of me. And that's pro- maybe that's why I like Scrooge, even though it's the same message at the end. Right. It's like, oh, just be nice to the to the to your black to your to your black female, uh, uh, you know, assistant and rehire the executive back. But that order is going to remain right. Like it's still power because you're abusing it for decades. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I mean, I think partly why it works so well in the original story is because like it's a pretty like low key operation. Like he's not he's not running a factory. He's not, you know. I, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a clerk. He's, he's some a, sort of like bean yeah, counter. He's abusing Bob Cratchit and uh, other employees in, in certain versions. But I mean, he's it's this tiny little grubby office. It's such a small scale. I mean, I I don't know if it's in other versions, but like certainly in the Disney one, like he makes Bob Cratchit his partner at the end, which. Yeah, he gives him a raise in the at the end of the novel, I think. Yeah. Again, I think that's a good edit. Like, his partner's dead at the beginning. He's mean to this guy. He should make him his partner (laughs) at the end. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, like, I I do think, yeah, I I know what you mean. Like, but I... I think that's what's great about the story is a Christmas story. Like, it's it's about redemption. It's about... And that's why I think it is, like, kind of like the ultimate Christmas story because it's something that you don't age out of like you do some other Christmas stories. It gets like richer as you get older. It becomes, you know, it's become seeing Christmas not as like a time when you get presents or as a kid or when you necessarily like go to church and believe in like the theological aspects of the holiday. It's about like this day as a day to like reflect on who you are and maybe like try to like, envision the world outside of your own narrow yeah. perspective or even like you yeah know, become worldly become worldly yeah. read about the world read about other characters like there is this there is this thing of like read 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 like think about other people go to other places like that's that's the kind of like open your heart to other people i mean really it's the message of i mean if you've read frankenstein like this frankenstein has the same similar kind of elements because under at the heart of frankenstein is about a man with no friends and a man who like shuts his heart off to all the sort of social connections. And instead he just makes this creature as, as his legacy. Right. I mean, it's, the analogy isn't, isn't perfect, but I can't help but think that like a man, a sad man with no friends. And again, this orphanhood theme and, and the sort of legacy of his, his, the da- his dad's brutality and his kind of just general friendlessness and his, and his money grubbing nature, right. That he, like, he embraces this vast wealth. That's hitting the country. And so Dickens is kind of writing about this class of people who are all of a sudden coming into this huge horde of wealth. Like the institutions that like we visit when we go visit London are built in this time. It's not some mud hut from like the 14th century. It's like a big shiny brick building that like cost a lot of lives to make both literally and figuratively in the sense of like the resources it took and like the people it required and like the cheap labor that was used to kind of like just whatever. And so Bob Cratchit actually is actually like a, if he works in this kind of office, he's actually not a middle-class guy too. He's like a, or he's not a a lower class guy. Like he's not like a worker we have like this is ultimately yeah, he's a got story like 38 about 38 children <laughs> yeah. i mean he's got like a house and stuff i mean yeah it's like you know it's it's interesting the class resonation i mean you have to go like a real scholar for like this nitty-gritty stuff but 
yeah, the uh, it, it is a different mixed message, and it's a lot of what happens in a lot of Dickens books, which is like if you're just a good person, if you're just a good person, you'll you know things will work out. I mean, not really. That's simplifying it big time. But like, you know, like like Miss Havisham's end, right? Ver- and like look at the way Miss Havisham ends, or Abel Magwitch from from Great Expectations. I think, both of them I think die. you're just messing with me, and you just made those names up. No, both of them die brutal deaths. And they're like punished for for the crimes they've done to their adoptees, right? But Ebenezer Scrooge is like given this second chance to like adopt his kids and to like adopt this family as his yeah. own family, and like they essentially adopt him. He's so like, I, I take back endangering your child. <laughs> Can I have a <laughs> yeah, mulligan exactly. on that near yeah. child murder? Yeah, your child almost died because of my <laughs> my lack of concern for you. So yeah, what's so what's your favorite? Uh, I mean, I think I've got to go. I mean, I love the Alistair Sim performance, but like, there's some weird stuff around that movie. Namely, that yeah. Tiny Tim is like a strapping. 22 year old rugby linebacker yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh but i i just love i mean for me like if we're talking purely rewatchable it's definitely the muppet version and it's funny because i think like that's my second favorite now but it's I also think. like the reasons why you like scrooge i think are kind of the opposite of what makes this work because you were talking about like the romanticizing romanticizing the past and like putting it in this kind of like fable like context i mean that's very much like the muppet one like there i mean it's all yeah. sets but what i love yeah. about the sets is that like they don't look right they're all like weirdly angular like yeah. oh god that opening shot with the miniatures it's beautiful like but it is like beautiful and it is like romantic and it is like this kind of like quaint version of like old-timey london but it also looks dirty and it also looks like it might fall over at any minute you know like there's this sense that like it's this kind of very perilous time in a way and i i just love it and the music and it's so good fuck it's just so good I'm gonna go watch it right now. You get to watch. You get to re-experience all these things because you have kids. Well, we've already you get watched to do. <laughs> They've already. You get seen to it. do all these. So that's the thing. Is that and like, I never so stop for me, Chris, <laughs> Christmas, but Christmas isn't like a thing in my life, right? Like it's only textual consumption. Wow. And but and you're I love Scrooge so ghosts. much. I well, that's the thing. I love Scrooge so much, and I love It's a Wonderful Life and all this stuff and like. You know, of course, who doesn't love going to parties? But like, not that parties happen anymore. And not that I was ever really invited to any party, what am I saying? <laughs> but like, like that, th- those things are great. Those are the secular things of Christmas. And the fact that like, th- there is a kind of canonical list of Christmas movies that, and then in that a subset of those, or like the majority, not a majority, but like a bunch of them are direct descendants of Charles Dickens's little little thing that he wrote in six weeks i was just reading it now he wrote it in six weeks um yeah and he was like and and there is a kind of funny backstory all this is about like the the goal of this book was to like make him enough money that he could like rent out a place (laughs) like like there are like 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 the lore of all this of like there's the dickens like dickens the sort of the ideas man the genius the sentimental guy but like there's also like dickens the like 19th century writer who had kids to feed who like yeah. had to hustle for his work even though he was like a big author he also and, like, like even though didn't he write like a follow-up to this he was like supposed to write he was gonna write like, there was a like four holiday, books right yeah, he's gonna like write yeah. a holiday thing every year and his follow-up to to a christmas carol was like a story about new year's goblins or something something like that and there's a whole oh, and this actually I... was preceded by something else in pickwick like he had been on this vibe and it just congealed in this book and this story that became a sensation. And 
you know, it's just like the, you know, it's all there. Like it's, we're still talking about it. 200 years. We're still talking about it. Uh, We're still talking about this guy. This guy was book born 200 years ago. We're still talking about his work. So we'll say, yeah, you're right. If only Uh, we had that kind of longevity. The Chimes, by the way, was the name of that goblin New Year's Eve story. Uh, The Chimes. Uh, Okay, Sina, thank you so much for doing this. Um, Is there anything you wanted to plug before we wrap up? Yeah, if you listen to the, like, go download the episode of uh, East is a Podcast where, well, I just reposted it. I republish it. God bless the lack of copyright on that stuff. Uh, It was last year. And uh, subscribe to my podcast. You might like it. uh, Behind my Patreon. The Orson Welles one, you... the Orson Welles one, yeah. Oh. The uh, I might even release a different because there's a fr- no, I reposted it last year, but maybe I'll do it again this year for careful. Christmas, the I descendants can just... could come after you, Drew Barrymore, no, they... to take legal action. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I checked this one okay. isn't copyrighted, oh, okay? Because uh, his stuff all went out, I don't know, the radio stuff because he like had, anyways, it doesn't matter, but uh, yeah, go check that out and check out Easy as a podcast. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, we sh- I'm gonna have to have you on for something, you always come on my show. So it's now it's my turn to come on your show. Actually, it's been two times you mean the since I've been on your show. Yeah. That's true. You always come. I always come on your show. Wait, you have to come on mine. It hasn't been two times. You've been on the show yeah. like six times. No, but two times in a row. Actually, <laughs> and you haven't been on my show ever. No, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Okay, can we do an Ewoks episode? The racism of Ewoks? Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, you can find us on Twitter at rewatchability and on facebook and instagram and all that stuff and you can subscribe on whatever uh podcast thing you listen to and until next time the The balcony is closed i was gonna say watch out for ghosts bah humbug no don't don't say that (laughs) that's the thing that got that other guy in trouble (laughs) planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.